This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two underway. Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Hour one filled with lots of uh, NFL draft talk with Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic. Also a bit of a Wranglers recap after their big victory in game one of the second round playoff series against the Abbotsford Canucks. Still to come on the program, we'll chat with Adnan Ver coming up in just moments. And uh, we'll also check in with Jason Buchel, our pal from Sportsnet.ca, former Florida Panthers scout, currently oversees the under-18 championships. We'll uh, dive into that a little bit later on in the segment. Come outstanding producing team of Cam and Taylor along with us on this Thursday afternoon. And uh, since it is a Thursday... Time for our regular chat with our pal Adnan Verk. MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. You know them, you love them, you hear them every single Thursday here on Sportsnet Today. And uh, lots to get to with uh, Verk today on a uh, busy Thursday in the sporting world. Adnan, how are you today, pal? Logo, always a pleasure, my friend. I don't know if they love me. I, it reminds me of the <laughs> old slogan, Ernie Harwell, the legendary voice of the Detroit Tigers once said for aspiring broadcasters, and you can use this on anybody. He said, at first, everyone's going to hate you. You just have to hang in there. Just have to just show up every day. And after a while, it doesn't matter if they like you or they hate you. They just get used to you. That's where we're at right now <laughs> with me and Calgary Radio. They just got used to me, Logan. <laughs> yeah, you're not going anywhere, so they might as well uh, might as well have gotten used to you. We've gotten used to you. We still love you, though, and uh, appreciate the time, as always, on a Thursday, man. It's been a, a crazy NHL playoffs right now. Uh, last night with a couple of really interesting results, but tonight all the focus uh, on the Toronto Maple Leafs and being able to slay the beast that is the Tampa Bay Lightning. When you look at this series, you see a 3-1 lead for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Virk, look, we know they've been there before. We know that they've bombed results like this before, but it, it feels different this year. And I don't know if it's from the Leafs perspective or from it's a Tampa perspective, or maybe it's a bit of both that feels like this might be the time that Toronto can finally get over that hump. For me, it's more the Leafs' perspective. And again, maybe it's because I was born in Toronto. Of course, I have lots of friends and family invested. But when I look at that angle of up 3-1, and they've only played one complete game. Like, that's what's wild to me. Like, that game three, actually the whole series we go through. The game one, normally that's not the kind of game they're going to be able to bounce back from. You go, oh, my gosh, shell-shocked, horrific performance. Who's going to be in goal, blah, blah, blah. But they come back in game two, show off their offensive skills. All right. He holds serve at home, and Tampa still feels pretty good about themselves. It's 1-1. But then game three, Toronto should not win, Logo, and yet they do. That, that's such an like, atypical Leaf tape performance. Normally they play great, but their goalie gives up a bad goal. Vasilevsky stones them, and they lose. Instead, it goes the other way. They win, and then game four, like just epic comeback. Like Again, like, wow, these guys should be down and out. Again, it should be a 2-2 series, best of three, away we go. 
and instead they're able to roar back like that. It was it was pretty incredible to see, and I think it's it's impossible not to appreciate Toronto's resolve in all of this. Now, we all know it's happened in the past, epic choke jobs in the past, but I, I really don't think it happens this time because, as I said to you before, if you just removed the least tortured history and you removed the Lightning's championship pedigree and just looked literally every player, if you and I went through it one by one and said graded each player out of 100 and then divided by the number of players in the roster, the Leafs would come out ahead. They really would. Like, they'd be the better team. They've got home ice, et cetera. Now, if they can just keep those demons at bay, and by the way, the quicker the better. Like, let's, if you're a Leafs fan, you don't want the sucker to go seven or at least six. Finish it up tonight, have a strong performance, and actually play, like I said, what will be the second complete game of the series and take care of business. But I, I think it's fascinating to see. They haven't won a series since 04, as you and I know. Mm-hmm. 0 for 7 in first-round series. Where it gets interesting is there's a thought process of if they can just win a round, if they can get out of the first round, they can really get rolling. And, again, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but this is the 30th anniversary of 93, which for every Leafs fan knows that's the last of it, any measure of success. You know, they immortalized Doug Gilmore and all the guys from that 99-3 team and going to the Final Four. Again, you'd have to still get through another round to get there. He's still got the Bruins and the Hurricanes and so many other good teams lurking. But it's amazing to think about if the Leafs can win tonight, you're exercising about 20 years' worth of pain and trying to get to somewhere where you haven't been in 30 years. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating subplot. I, I myself was looking at the schedule tonight and going, okay, I do want to watch Rangers-Devils, but I'll be, I'll be locked in the Leafs come 7 o'clock Eastern tonight. It was interesting you mentioned that 4 stat, our pals at uh, Sportsnet Stats, you know, really diving into it as they always do. So that's uh, – since their last playoff win, uh, the series win against the Sens in 04, which was April 20th, Vert, that's 6,946 days. That's 19 years, 7 days, 17 <laughs> yeah. seasons, not including this year. And in that time, they've played 56 playoff games where they hold a 24-32 and 32 record. It really is remarkable that one of the premier franchises in the NHL has not won a playoff series in that length of time, like, what were you? Do you even know what you were doing in two thousand and four, Virk? I thought you were going to stop me, Logan. With what was the number one movie back in two thousand four? <laughs> I thought I'm about it. Rack my brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's hilarious. I was I graduated Ryerson two thousand. So I was yeah, I was working at the score. I started the score in two thousand three. You know, I'm twenty six years old. That's the last time. God, that's that, that's a lifetime ago, dude. It's before I had. I was married. I had four kids before I'd worked at ESPN. That's crazy to think about what a what a journey it's been and how far away that is. You're right. 2004. It's just way back in the recesses of my mind, thinking how far long ago that was. But yeah, I, I I think the key, as you said, there is just like premier franchises. Like whether or not you love the Leafs or hate the Leafs, you appreciate their place in the game. And the only comparison I can make to it is kind of like what's happening right now with the New York Knicks. You know where I yeah. live, obviously Nick country. The fact the Knicks, much like the Leafs, storybook franchise but haven't won in forever, incredibly loyal fans who have suffered a ton of losing. It somehow still keeps showing up. The Knicks win their first playoff series since 2013. Again, 10 years, a long time. If they had lost last night and then game six tomorrow, I was thinking of going with a couple of friends and they were laughing. They said, you know, the Knicks haven't won a playoff series at home since 1999. Again, that's longer than the Leafs going back. And this is, again, a storybook franchise in the Knicks which hasn't won a championship since 73, as you know, the Leafs night since 1967. So this happens in sports, but oftentimes if you don't have a dog in the race, I always root for the best story in the sport. And again, whether or not you love the Leafs or hate the Leafs, I'm sure a lot of people in Calgary hate the Leafs. It is a compelling mm-hmm. story to say, wow, 
they're going to finally exercise these demons and win a round. What could happen next? We'll see. If you had to guess at the top movie in 2004, what would you have guessed? It's an animated sequel, by the way. Okay, so is it Toy Toy Story? No, Shrek 2, maybe? No, Toy Story 2? Shrek 2. Shrek 2, okay, yeah. You you saved me with the the animated. I would have thought, it feels like a round Lord of the Rings territory. I don't don't know if that's Return of the King or Two Towers, but it's in that, I always think of 04 around that time, but God, that's uh, that's going back a ways. Shrek 2. By the way, the original actor who was wanted was they wanted to get play Shrek, SNL actor. Gone too soon. Take a guess. Oh. Uh, but buddies with Spade. Buddies with David Farley? Spade, Adam Sandler, that crew. Exactly. Chris Farley, the original wow. choice to play Shrek. Which like, which listen, Mike Myers, we love, of course, fellow Canadian, but I can yeah. totally see Chris Farley being the original guy. Cast Man, that would have been easy. I love Farley. I still go back and watch old YouTube. Oh. I can't get enough of Chris Farley. The energy the guy had, I could just, I could watch you know, Van Down by the Ray, all of it for forever. The, the Chippendales dance, everything. It's so good. He was, so, I could oh. only imagine what Shrek would be if it was Chris Farley's franchise instead of Mike Myers. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Both those guys, again, wild energy, pushing the envelope. You're right. The Chippendales is amazing. You know, I recently had a guest on, Ben Schwartz. I know you listen to Cinefile. Yeah. He's in the movie Renfield and Voice Tonic. And he made a reference. He said something about working with Nicolas Cage. And he said, you know, I asked him about adaptations of the movies he did. And we laughed. And he, he said, I was kind of like that Chris Farley character. I already knew what he was talking about on SNL where he'd have an actor we loved and go, hey, remember, remember that thing you did? Like, that was awesome. <laughs> That's if you so know what I'm good. talking about, folks, yeah. look up Chris Farley fawning over celebrities in SNL. It's really funny. Uh, just quickly before, because I'm a nerd and I have to get this out of here. Uh, top grossing movies of 04, Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2, and, uh, of course, everyone's favorite, The Passion of the Christ, the third highest wow. grossing film of 2004. Oftentimes when I'm asked, what's a major movie that I've never seen before? There's a couple that come to mind. Singing in the Rain, I've never got through. The Sound of Music I've never seen, but a more recent vintage, The Passion I've never seen. And the reason why is, a good friend of mine who's Catholic at the time was like, dude, you can't see it. I'm like, why? He was like very offended because he was like, it's, it's a bloodbath. He's yeah. like, it's literally just like two hours of Jesus just getting annihilated. I'm like, okay. And <laughs> I remember reading a couple of reviews specifically that said, this just, it just isn't a wide-ranging movie. It was very polarizing at the time, but I do feel yeah. like I should go back and see it. Because actually, like, as you said, that was, that's monster numbers. Like for a a religious film about Jesus to be the top third. I mean, that's pretty wild. How much did they make? Like $300 million? Something like uh, that. $370 million. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. I, you know what? Monica Bellucci's in it. I'm going to get around to seeing The Passion at some point. <laughs> uh, last <laughs> one on the, the Leafs and Lightning as we, we kind of circle back there. Ver. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation that Jeff Merrick had with Elliot Friedman on his show earlier today, and it's that if the Leafs win this series, have they actually won anything or are we still kind of like uh, you still have 12 games to win before you, you win a trophy or before you can, you know, think about putting up a banner? Is this anything to really celebrate for the Toronto Maple Leafs finally getting through the first round? I think it is. I think when you've got this kind of pressure and stress on you, I think this is pretty momentous. It says everyone knows jobs are on the line. They don't win this game tonight. They don't win this series. Dubas is going to be sent packing. Sheldon Case is going to be sent packing. Maybe a member of his core is going to be sent packing. Obviously, Matthews is untouchable. Marner's been incredible. But, like, maybe a Willie Nylander, maybe Tavares. Like, they, they'll start to think out to the box. And we've got to shake this up somehow. Uh, what, you know, what can we do 
that kind of tried to go cheap on the goaltending, right? Go Murray and Samsonov and figure out one of those two guys can work. Maybe it works. Maybe Samsonov outplays Vasilevsky, but maybe it doesn't. They go, okay, we're going to go out and get a premier goalie and give up one of these top forwards. Who knows? But I, I would disagree respectfully with Jeff if he thinks it's not a big deal. This is pretty massive, man. I know. Again, for most franchises, winning a series is not a huge deal. For the Lightning, it's not a big deal. For the Avalanche or whomever, but for the Leafs and Leafs Nation, yeah, because it's all about stepping stones. And you want to be able to say, if Austin Matthews looks in the mirror this summer and goes, well, at least we're moving forward. We've moved the goalposts. we won a series. Let's build confidence move on from there. And again, who knows what happens in the next round. But, God, it's going to be delirium in the, in the streets of Toronto. One of my best friends, one of my old college buddies, John Nadalin, is going tonight. He's going with his son. And I was like, dude. Just be careful, because I, I said, win or lose, there's going to be riots. If you win, they're going to burn the city down. If they lose, they're going to burn the city down. You're a father. What are you doing? So I, I hope everyone's safe in Toronto tonight. And I remember a certain uh, cinephile host thinking about taking his kids to Philly not all that long ago yeah. for a Super Bowl party. So I'm not sure how we're <laughs> how we're faring on the parenting safety uh, yes. safety network here. <laughs> That is true. You get you get caught up in the jubilation of the delirium and say, I've got to be there. And then afterwards you go, what? You're going to go to Philadelphia of all places for an Eagle Super Bowl? No. Hide the women and children. Come on. Yeah, well, they were stealing traffic lights and greasing them up with cops in the in the streets. And Virk thought that was a great place to take his kids for an evening out. Uh, <laughs> good one. Uh, Virk, Rangers, Devils, Game 5 tonight. Uh, series back to uh, Prudential Center. In uh, Newark, I thought the Rangers were going to big brother this thing after two games, and the Devils have just come out and, and turned out this into a really interesting series. And I kind of feel like the pressure is all on the Rangers, given these trade deadline acquisitions, the picks that they've had. I don't know that you can keep Kane or Tarasenko past this year unless one of them takes a huge hometown discount. Uh, it kind of feels like the Devils have put some pressure on the Rangers here. 100%. Going in, I said Devils in seven, which is primarily to alienate all the Rangers fans that are around me. Even though <laughs> living in Jersey, I think it's Jersey country, but there's a lot of Rangers fans that say, hey, hey, congratulations on getting Patrick Kane. You're going to lose the first round. Mah, mah, mah. And then, of course, New York wins the first two games in Jersey, which is literally a stone's throw, Newark to, uh, to Madison Square Garden. So, obviously, both fan bases well represented. But, but I'm with you. I'm surprised the Devils came back. Gutsy move putting Akira Schmidt in game three. I thought he played really well in net, and they've stolen momentum back. So it's, it's always unusual to me in a series where the home team has lost the first four games. But again, because New York and New Jersey are so close by and their fans are kind of like interspersed, I really don't feel like it is much of a home life advantage. Like at a Rangers game, there are Devils fans, and at a Devils game, there are Rangers fans. So it actually isn't that surprising, uh, the fact that home life isn't meant a whole lot. But eventually you would think that would change. Like it's very odd. You'd say, wow, first five games the home team loses. So. I hope the Devils win tonight. I think it'd be a good story to see that team. Again, I root for stories. I think Jack Hughes is a spectacular player. I want to see him go further. One may argue the New York angle is more exciting because of Kane and Tarasenko, uh, the kid line, all that firepower up front. But uh, I, I think the Devils, like I said, they've, they've kind of really made an announcement here by winning these last two games. So game five should be a lot of fun tonight. I almost feel bad for the Winnipeg Jets. That's a tough one to say here in Calgary, seeing as how they beat out the Flames for that last playoff spot, Virk. But, man, going into Vegas tonight, what they've built there in such a short time, that's a great atmosphere in Vegas. And being without Shifley, being without Morrissey, Ehlers hasn't played yet this postseason. Feels like an awfully tall task even to get to game six if you're the Winnipeg Jets right now. Yeah, 100%. At this point, you know, for Winnipeg, as you said, I'm sure a lot of the Flames fans aren't shedding a tear, but... 
Yeah, Vegas, I just think it's, it's just got too much depth right now. And it, it's, it's odd for Winnipeg because the last couple of years, you know, they've revamped so much of their defensive core, and yet they've got their stars like Kyle Connor up front. But it's just been an odd team to figure out. They really have never had a real run where you say, are they really elite or are they really bad? They're, they're in that frustrating spot, which is good enough to make the playoffs, but probably not good enough to win a round. And that's exactly what we're seeing against Vegas. And I think that Western Conference is pretty fascinating because Edmonton looked like they were in trouble. And some people were picking them to represent the Western Conference. The Avalanche said, well, come on, the Avalanche can't cut out. But the Kraken have shown their strength now up 3-2. And now Vegas, who maybe in the past you'd say, okay, you know, they had this great little run born out of a franchise, a couple cup appearances, but maybe they're going to falter a little bit. Maybe this is their year now to finally take that next step. So it's, I find the West is very intriguing. In that. And the East, I, you clearly can see the Bruins are the big, bad Bruins. And maybe Florida can push them to a game seven. Who knows? But – you really do feel like it's Boston and Carolina and uh, Hurricanes probably beat the Islanders in six, and those teams feel strong. But in the West, I do feel like you can start to make a case for other teams. Like even I haven't watched a lot of the Stars and Wild. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm curious what, what team emerges there, whether it's Dallas and, and what they can do moving forward. So long way of saying, yeah, I, I don't think Winnipeg's going to get it done, but not a big surprise either. I would have said Vegas is the better team, and I think they'll prove that they are. Were you, uh, like me, a bit stunned at the result last night? Like, I almost feel the same conversation coming with – what we just said with Winnipeg when you're Colorado and you don't have Nachushkin, uh who, who leaves under you know surprising circumstances. You've got your Landis Gogs out. Makar's dealing with that suspension. But I still, for some reason, Virk thought that Colorado had enough to deal with Seattle. Now all of a sudden, second year in the league, and the Kraken are looking at downing the defending Stanley Cup champions in six games. What a surprising result last night was. Yeah, I love McCarr. I think that that's a massive absence, as you know. I mean, he's might as well be Bobby Orr reincarnate. Like he's he's not there. That changes everything. And it was always odd to me in the Avalanche, especially in the regular season, at times how well they were playing without McCarr. And you know, Devin Tapes obviously can be a horse for them. But as you noted, you know, it becomes a war of attrition here in the playoffs. And if you're missing one guy, okay, but if it's Nachuskin and McCarr, then things start to add up a little bit. And the Kraken are one of those teams. They're just strength in numbers. You know, they don't have superstars. One may argue McCann is pretty underrated. and that He could be, you know, 40, 50 goal scorer one day. But generally speaking, you go up and down their lineup, and they're one of those teams. They're like a baseball team where everyone hits like 270. Kind of like the Guardians. Like, they, they, they don't have a ton of power, but everyone's just a solid player. And that's kind of how Seattle's built things. And it's, it's pretty impressive by, by Ron Francis and company to have a team like that where we're not going to be superstar dependent. They're not one-line dependent, but just solid up and down the lineup. And they got really contributions from the third and fourth line throughout the year more than other teams did. You know, they can build their defense with their top six. Um, but, but I'm with you. I'm still surprised. Like, if the Kraken beat the Avalanche, like, okay, Seattle's better than most people realize, but they're still the Avalanche. They still should be able to overcome when you've got stars like McKinnon and Ranson. So I still feel like it goes seven, but I'm, uh, I'm a little surprised how Seattle's up. Uh, NFL draft tonight, uh, your Philadelphia Eagles, despite going to the Super Bowl, have uh, picks at 10 and 30. Do you still get excited watching the NFL draft? Yeah, for me, it's, it's one of those where I'm like, I can't go through it the whole time. Logo, when I was with my buddy Michael Lombardi, we did the Jim Shuffle, I felt like I was compelled to kind of watch it in real time and just see what reactions are on Twitter and all the rest of it. But now as a fan, as I said, tonight, you know, I'm going to be watching the Leafs game. I'll flip over the Rangers game. And then I'll flip over the draft kind of depending on where the Eagles are picking. So as you said, 10 and 30, when I see it's like pick eight kind of thing, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be checking more around that time. So that, that's kind of the way I think I'm going to do it is it's like, because again, to go pick by pick, it's, it's a lot to kind of be invested in. 
Uh, and it's a lot of just sitting around. Like, let's be honest. It's, it's a lot of, all right, who's on the mm-hmm. clock? And I will say, ESPN does a great job of it. You know, I love Reese Davis and Kirk Kirsch and all those guys. They really break it down well and, you know, whose team's needs are and best players available and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I just – I'm always amazed. If tomorrow morning you and I are going to look and say 7 million people watch the NFL draft and only, you know, 1.4 million in America watch <laughs> Rangers, Dallas. I'm like, how, how is there six times more people watching the NFL draft? But I, I – I get it, man. The NFL is just so popular, and there's such passion around it. So I, uh, I'm curious, especially when there's trades made and teams trade down. That's where I think it gets curious as to, to which teams make moves. But, yeah, I'm definitely will be law. I'll be flipping over once I see the Eagles making their picks, and hopefully Harry Roseman can make me proud. Uh, and last but not least, of course, the uh, latest edition of the Cinephile podcast dropped yesterday. Uh, George Tillman Jr., director on there as well, and you went through a uh, new documentary, Boom Boom, The World versus Boris Becker. Tell us a bit about that. I thought it was fascinating, man. Becker's a top 10 athlete for me. Everyone knows how much I adore Federer, but before Roger was Boris and uh, a seven-year-old Adnan Burke was captivated in 1985 when I saw this <laughs> 17-year-old kid named Boris Becker win. Just a great name, first of all. Yes. Boris Becker, first ever German to win Wimbledon, first ever unseated player to do so. 17 years of age, flying all over the court, you know, bloodied knees and stuff, didn't care, diving all over the grass. And uh, I was enraptured by his performance. And I loved him as a player and Ended up winning six majors, you know, was a terrific player, was the number one. Ended up becoming a commentator, very charismatic, and then, of course, fell into hard times and faced legal troubles multiple times and eventually served time in prison, eight months, because of all the financial difficulties that he had in terms of tax evasion and not being able to pay back guys. So the documentaries, I thought, outstanding. It's from the same guy, Alex Gibney, who did the Scientology documentaries called Going Clear, the Case Against Scientology. As you know, I love that documentary because it's so powerful. He also had a really good doc on Sinatra. And the key here is he's got Becker. Like, he, he interviewed him two separate times. One time, her life was going pretty good. The other time, two days before he was sentenced to prison. And he wasn't sure what his fate would be. So it's, it's almost like talking to a guy on death row. Like, hey, he's, he's really in a reflective mood as Becker. He's focusing on his past and still got an incredible memory like most athletes. You know, here was this incredible point against McEnroe or Stefan Edberg or Matt Vilander, But also the downs as well. You know, cheated on his wife, had a kid in a wedlock. That led to his divorce. Alimony payments are expensive, trusted the wrong people, financial handlers. Like, God forbid me for saying this logo, but I, I watched that documentary. I go, hey, thank God I'm not rich. Right? Like, <laughs> like you, say to yourself, you say to yourself, I wish I was rich and famous. You watch that doc and you go, no, dude, more money, more problems, right? You got one wife, you got two kids, you got alimony, spouse support. And as Becker himself says, he goes, hey, when you're rich, you get used to living that lifestyle, even after you've stopped playing. And he puts the blame on himself. He goes, that's my fault. But you trust the wrong people. Someone says, hey, man, give me a million bucks. Don't worry. I can turn that into $5 million. And all of a sudden, you're losing $5 million, You're losing $10 million. You go, oh, my God. I gotta, I've lost this house. I've lost this. I mean, it, it's, I started to get anxiety watching it go, man, it's just good to just be a man of means here, Logo. We're just humble guys. Paycheck to paycheck. Hey, as long as i got a house and a car, I'm not going to complain. I don't need five houses and ten cars like Boris Becker. But I love the guy, man. I still think he's so charismatic and I give him credit for being accountable. Like, he, he really comes across well in the dock because he's honest about his mistakes, and uh, it's fascinating. As, as you saw, I don't know if you ever saw Air yet, but there's that great mm-hmm. theme where, where Matt Damon is talking to Jordan saying, hey, they're going to build you up, but they're going to tear you down. That's kind of the way society works. And at one point, Becker says he's, he's one of the most popular figures in Germany in the last 30 years. Like, the tabloids love it. Like, they, it just sells papers. Either Becker doing good or Becker doing bad. Like, his name sells papers. So he's... He just had to accept the fact that's the life of a celebrity, and uh, he's had some great moments, but he's had some bad moments too. 
Burke, you're the best. Uh, appreciate the time as always, pal. Have a great weekend. We'll chat with you again next week and uh, looking forward to your uh, final review of The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. Make sure you slip in two and a half hours of that bloodbath yeah. and support Mel Gibson. We'll get around to it. Thanks, pal. Have a great weekend. Thanks, welcome. See you, Virk. Uh, and then, Virk, MLB Network, uh, NHL Network, Cinephile Podcast. Uh, you know we do love him here every Thursday on Sportsnet today. Kind enough to give us some time. Down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The uh, hotline getting a workout. It's going to uh, be going once more around the corner. We're going to chat with Jason Bukula, uh, Sportsnet.ca writer and former NHL scout. Uh, he'll help us close out the hour next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, closing out Hour 2 of the program this afternoon. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Busy night in the NHL coming up. couple potential elimination games. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the Winnipeg Jets look to survive another day. And we will have a series lead for either the Devils or the Rangers. Make sure to catch Tampa at Toronto and Vegas at Winnipeg. Right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan is part of our continuing Stanley Cup playoff coverage on your Sportsnet 960 airways. Like I said, I'm Logan Gordon along with you. Cam Taylor, my outstanding production team, and now very happy uh, to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon and welcoming our pal from Sportsnet.ca, former NHL scout Jason Bukula joins us this afternoon from Switzerland at the Men's U18 Championship. Jason, thanks so much for doing this today, man. How are you? Hey, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me. Everything's good. Yeah, I'm just uh, winding down the day. It's... Uh... Well, eight hours ahead uh, from your time, but uh, just coming out of my last game of the day, heading back to uh, file some reports. So all good. Yeah, much appreciated. It's been great following along the content. Uh, uh, Switzerland, one of those uh, places that is big on hockey, and I know that uh, if, during the lockouts, it's been one of those places that NHL pros have gone for a long time, Jason. But I guess for any of our listeners who don't know or aren't aware, Switzerland's uh, been a big-time hockey bid for a long time now and a pretty fitting place to have this championship, eh? Yeah, they really support it, uh, the locals here. So two communities are holding this tournament in uh, Basel and Porrentree. Porrentree is kind of on the French side of Switzerland, uh, getting closer to, like, uh, France and Paris. And then uh, uh, Basel, where I kind of my home base is, uh, it's actually a mix of, like, Italian, French, and uh, German, and, of course, English. But uh, they support it very well. Uh, NHL players have uh, obviously Davos, you know, the Spengler Cup. It's been held for forever, and it's uh, it's just a special place. Like uh, the community's great, the hockey's good, and uh, and they're they're pumping out some product too. Like uh, there's a high end pick, a defenseman playing in Cloten, a young kid, David Reinbacher, who could uh, go as high as number six in the draft this year. So it's good. It, it, it's it's a fun time to be in uh, in hockey circles in Switzerland. I wanted to touch on a couple of things from your your notebooks while you're there, including one. Uh, Today, obviously talking about, uh, you know, Czechia and the United States, Team USA, uh, defeating them, and they've got some interesting prospects there. But uh, the main one I wanted to start off with was uh, another Juricic on the horizon, as you talked about in your article, uh, Jason. Uh, the Jackets obviously taking David Juricic with the sixth overall pick in the 2022 draft. Uh, but next up is his brother Adam, who showed out pretty well at this tournament so far. 
Yeah, he's a 2006 born, so he's a 2024 draft. And I have to tell you right off the hop that the, the 2024 draft at the top yeah. is starting to shape up. Uh, it's not got a Connor Bedard right at the top, but it's starting to shape up uh, with the type of value that this draft class does too. So that's exciting. But this kid here, right shot, just like his brother, wears the same number as his brother, six foot two. He's only a buck seventy right now. His brother's two oh nine. So he's going to have to fill out a little bit, but um, he doesn't have the bomb from the point that his brother does. He's more of a transporter, skater, small area guy. Actually, his brother's like that too. He makes a lot of plays in small areas, but uh, this kid's tracking to be first round talent next year as well. So exciting time to be involved in the, uh, in the family there with the Jurichicks. Yeah. Funny how that, uh, that talent seems to seep through for, uh, for different people, whether it's the Hugheses or, you know, different families throughout the NHL, it seems to, Seems to run in the family, especially when there's only a couple years between them. I wonder how often you've seen that between brothers over your years uh, of scouting, Jason, and how closely those skill sets seem to to translate between siblings. You know what? Obviously, the Hughes brothers are are a big one. Um, you know, the Fantillis. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a divide there in terms of the the degree of of talent, but you know, it's still a nice story. I mean, any guy that can go to Michigan to play Division One hockey, it's a big deal. So. You know, Adam's getting all the attention, but his brother's there at Michigan as well. One thing I've noticed more than anything right now, though, Logan, is a lot of players, like past players, their kids are starting to come through more and more often. So, like Gabe Perot at the U.S. program, mm-hmm. it just he just broke Austin Matthews' record for the all-time leading scorer at the U.S. National Team Development Program, which says something, um, yeah. obviously. <laughs> and uh, his, his dad, Yannick, had uh, over 500 games in the league, and you know, towards the end, he was really more of a, a face-off specialist than anything else. He kind of bounced around with that, kind of like a Peter Zezel for people who are – I'm probably dating even you when I say Peter <laughs> Zezel, but like a, fa- a yep. face-off specialist yeah, like I got his dad was. And uh, this guy here, though, all offense, and uh, that U.S. team's loaded for bear. There's, there's three uh, three kids right at the top that should go in the top ten. Yeah, I was going to go right there. It's a perfect transition for us because you, you mentioned a couple of them, and uh, guys that I know people are on the lookout for in the next couple rounds of the NHL draft. Uh, Ryan Leonard, Oliver Moore, a couple of those names. How have they looked so far uh, in your eyes at the tournament? I honestly think that Leonard's got the most momentum out of anybody. Um, I had Smith's, uh, Will Smith securely at number five on my draft list. Of course, we all know that the wild card's the Mitchkov kid out of Russia, right? Like yeah. Who's going who's gonna to step up on him? And if Rhinebecker is a spoiler at six, well, it changes the outlook of the first round with those two names that I just gave you right off the hop. Um, Leonard's on the uptick. I've had some teams this week come up to me just to kind of pick my brain a little bit. And uh, they've actually got him leaning to be catching Smith maybe a shade ahead of him now. That changes everything. And, um, I mean, he plays a full 200-foot game, Leonard does. But I was fortunate in London, where I live, to watch a guy named Patrick Kane come through what it is draft here in Chicago. And um, the Smith kid reminds me a lot of that. He's got holes defensively, but you can't discount the offense. Um, so I don't know. You know, Oliver Moore, he's going to be more of a guy that's going to be in the Flames range, actually, around 16, I think. He might go a little bit earlier than that. Um, but he's a speed guy off the rush, not as much as a um, – he doesn't have, have rink-wide eyes, if you know what I mean. Like, so, like, off the rush, he's kind of got it in front of him, and but he doesn't necessarily see what's happening on, you know, the far side of the rink. He's got a little bit of tunnel uh, vision to him that way, and that concerns me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, years ago, the Flames uh, drafted Rico Fada, and Fada 
Um, you know, some nights I'd watch Vada play, and, you know, if the doors weren't closed at the end of the rink, I'd think he'd skate right out in the parking lot type of a thing. Uh, Moore's not that bad, but um, there are some moments where I wish he made more plays. So, um, but I'm going to tell you this, and I know the Flames, you know, it's it's not been a great news ending to the season, right? You and I mm-hmm. could probably have a cocktail and go on forever, but um, they're going to get a really good player. They're going to get a really good player in this draft. Uh, from a Canadian front where a lot of our listeners will be paying attention to, uh, you know, names for, for Canadian forwards and where they're going and how their tournaments worked out as far as their draft stock goes. Uh, Jason, I'd love to ask you about uh, Nick Lardis. He's a guy coming out of Hamilton that intrigues me a lot because uh, he's rising up a lot of draft boards here in the second half of the season after he arrived in a trade from Petersboro. Uh, he's got a lot of offensive instinct. He's a great skater. Uh, he's more of a goal scorer than a distributor, which is an interesting one too. And uh, a guy that I think could make some noise when you're talking about Canadian forwards or Canadian uh, draft prospects are coming up the board in the next couple of weeks here. I 100% agree with that. So Lardis is a guy that I call a strategy pick in the first round. And what I mean by that is that if the flames are, you know, drafting 16 where they are right now, let's say they hold that slot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a trade back type of target. So if you think that, you know, um, I'm, I don't have my computer in front of me, but I'm pretty positive. They don't have a second this year, right? They, they don't have a second. Am I correct on that? Yeah, you correct. I, I don't think they have a second. No. So if they were to trade, if they were trade back from wherever they are to say 22, 23, they could pick up a later round, second round pick to, to stock the coverage a little bit more. Lardis is a great target. He's one of the most elite skating forwards in the draft. Um, I mean, his glide and coming off his edges. There's guys in transition. Like when you break through the neutral zone and let's say you have to go under your glide and then pick up your speed again off the edge. He doesn't lose any, any pace. Like he's just an elite, elite skater. So he's playing wing here, Logan. He's, he's got to play the middle and that's why he's got more goals and assists. I know that some guys in the middle are playmakers. This guy's a shooter. He needs to use all the ice to be dynamic. I love this kid. He's on the rise. He'll be between 22 and 26 in the draft, in my estimation. What do you see in a young man like Colby Barlow uh, coming from Owen Sound? Goal scoring, got a little bit of size to him, but he's got great hands. He's a a natural leader, as I know you've pointed out uh, before in some of your articles on him. How's Colby looked at the tournament, and how do you see his stock heading into the NHL draft? High-end stock, uh, top 10 pick, uh, leader, as you just said. He's got some Mason McTavish in his game, similar to, uh, you know, in Anaheim there, Mason. Yeah. My one concern, um, elite release. I mean, he can he can pick a puck between his legs, like in tight to his body, and absolutely rip a puck. Um, the difference, or my concern to a degree, is that transitioning the puck between the blue lines is in his strong suit. So as long as he's aligned properly with a guy who's got pace in the middle of the ice, and he can blast up his wing, get a puck high in the offensive zone, he's going to go to work. But he's not a guy that on the breakout is going to push a lot of defenders back and um, and accomplish much off the rush. So um, not a huge concern. He's a shooter. We all need to score goals. Uh, I'm just pointing out that his skating needs to go to, I'd say, 10 or 15% more. Uh, goaltending is always an interesting conversation, and it's always one that you know uh, baffles some of the best when it comes to scouting and where guys go. Uh, Carson Bjarnson's a guy that we've seen a bit of here in Calgary, given the fact that he plays in Brandon, had a great WHL season, struggled a bit at the tournament, 
and will need to be, you know, better down the stretch. But, you know, Carson, or excuse me, our pal Sam Cosentino, uh, talked to him at the prospects game back in January. Really likes the character from the kid. Uh, I'm curious, though, how you see uh, Carson this tournament and what the future looks like for him. Yeah, just come off his best game today against Switzerland. So Canada comes out on top, uh, 7-3. But Carson has his best game of the tournament for me. The first period, uh, don't be be misled by the score. Uh, The Swiss came out with energy. They're pesky. They're they're like the Czechs. They keep coming at you. They might not have as much talent, but they keep coming. Today was his best game. He started on time, which is a huge deal. Uh, made three or four sequential saves in the first, call it seven minutes of the game. And I'm talking like off the flank and some that he had the front, like in the deep slot, like right in front of him. He's a big body. And when he moved laterally, he used his legs to kind of stretch out and make some really big saves. So today was a good day. Um, his tournament has been uneven. Um, I was in the room with Sammy, interviewed him. Great character, fantastic kid. The thing with drafting goalies, like we drafted Spencer Knight in Florida early in, in the Vancouver draft. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an anomaly that they hit early, but goalies are two-cycle contract guys. So if you're going to go after a goalie, just if you're going to put the development time in him, he's going to be a second contract guy, generally speaking, um, before he hits. Now, Dustin Wolf might hit next year. He's an anomaly. I mean, that guy's <laughs> been ridiculous, right? Yeah. So, um, But, but Bjarnason, um today was great. Uh, I actually just published something on him. You're going to be able to read it on sportsnet.ca. Um, I'm waiting on the weekend to see if he can continue it because they need him to be big, and he's starting every game for Canada. But uh, top-ranked goalie in North America right now, but getting a lot of pushback from Michael Horabel, who's a Czechia goaltender um, that's, uh, that's playing at Omaha in the USHL. Uh, last one to talk about here before we move on to some NHL topics with you, Jason, quickly. Uh, Dalbor Dvorsky. Uh, the number three ranked NHL uh, prospect among European skaters. Last chance for him to make a solid impression on the scouting community after uh, a pretty up and down year for him. How do you think Dalbor uh, established himself? Great. He was really good this week. Played the middle, pushed the pace, a lot of handles, uh, some deception to his game coming out of the corners. Like his strength is his stick. And uh, we didn't see it a lot at the World Juniors, but this is a kid that can release pucks from distance very, very quickly um, from the flank. And, and he's, he, this week he played the middle and played with a lot of pace, a lot of pushback. I'm going to be curious, as a Calgary Flame um, kind of outlier, just kind of watching from, mm-hmm. from, the, from the distance here, if his name's on the board at 16, he can't go past Calgary. He can't go past. He's ended the season on a high note. I really like this game. Uh, Jason Buco along with us uh, at sportsnet.ca, former NHL scout, always kind enough to give us some time down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. I know uh, time changes and everything make it uh, a little bit more difficult, Jason, but uh, I'm sure you've heard the buzz from Toronto as a potential elimination game looms for the Maple Leafs to uh, exercise some demons and get past the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, in five games of, of all things tonight. How have you liked and what have you seen from the Toronto Maple Leafs that's made this uh, a different series than perhaps years in the past? Uh, heavier in certain areas. I mean, uh, Nola Chari, nice deadline pickup. Um, I'm biased because we had him in Florida. I really like the guy. Uh, but he's got 28 hits or something yeah. in four games, which which isn't a Toronto Maple Leaf style of, of game. I think we would be in agreement with that. That would have been a Calgary Flames style game a year ago. I think we would say that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Achari, Heavy, Shen answering the bell. Listen, 
they've got by by the skin of their teeth a little bit here too. So I'm not drinking all of the Kool-Aid quite yet. It could easily be 3-1 Tampa. Samsonov didn't start great. He got better in Tampa. But you know what? Still, they're giving up a lot of grade-A chances. I don't love their defending down low. Their, their routes and their gaps uh, haven't been great on the back end. Uh, former Calgary, Calgary Flame Giordano, um, he just seems a little slow in this series to me, like he's running out a little bit of gas. So hopefully he's hopefully he can catch a little bit more going forward here. But uh, Matthew Nyes has been excellent, right? So that's yeah. a great story. I, I think that I think that's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, um, hockey fans got to love stories like that, right? Like, you know, the guys, there's guys that are making $10, $11 million a year, and uh, and this kid comes right out of college, and, and he's giving everything he's got. And uh, he hasn't really made a nickel in the league yet, and I thought I think he's been one of their best players, to be honest. Well, and talk to me a bit about more Matthew Nyes uh, here, Jason, because a lot of people look at it today and say, hey, Matthew Nyes' play is the reason why Sheldon Keefe does not feel he needs to insert Michael Bunting right back into the lineup. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, first of all, the group has gone on a little bit of a run here. So three in a row with bunting out after that distraction, and let's just call it that, a distraction. So the other guys have earned the opportunity, and Nyes is part of the equation. So if you look at Nyes, um, I've written at length, um, and some of my colleagues were concerned that, you know, he couldn't step in and play. Nyes doesn't have to score to have an impact in the game. That's the beauty of this player. He's big, he's strong, he's quick to space, and he competes like he empties the tank. And so we've seen him bump up against place. We saw him save a goal on the goal line. Like all these little tangible things at playoff time that contribute to team success, I don't care if he scores a goal. Like he could be zeros across the board. Hopefully he's a plus player, but he does all these other things well, like extends plays along the wall, uh, back checks with authority, you know, like back pressure takes away an option for Tampa Bay. All these things... Uh, to the naked eye, we don't notice, but they're very, very important at this time of year. He does all of those. Is one of those stats that we don't always look at, but is super important, uh, the face-off dot, uh, Jason, where a guy like Ryan O'Reilly is sitting around 55% on the series and uh, giving Toronto the advantage to start with possession uh, so many times when he's on the ice? Absolutely. So coaches, scouts, uh, we look at all that kind of thing. So three-zone face-off pedigree. All coaches run set plays in the National Hockey League from all three zones. Zone exits, offensive zone, obviously, on the power play. Coaches have got so creative in the offensive zone, like with wingers flipping out of position and like a, a high cycle with the defenseman coming down. None of that happens if you don't win the faceoff. So you've got um, O'Reilly at, I think you said 55. I think the virus is at 56. So if you go 56 and 44, or 55, 45, 56, 44 against the top two opponents on the other side, over the course of a game, you might start with the puck 10 more times. It's extremely important. It's a, it's a huge stat. And it's probably helped lead to a couple of those goals for Morgan Riley at the point, too, where we've talked so much about how that's been key for the Leafs on those. Those are all a result of, of winning the faceoff and getting that opportunity, eh? Absolutely. I mean, you win it, and then you box out. He takes like a stagger step to his left, and all you do is direct it on goal. And if you have enough traffic going to the cage, you take away the eyes of the goalie, bar down, the game is over. I mean, the game is not that hard sometimes. It's all those little, little things that, that add up to success. Uh, Going to be really interesting tonight. Can't wait to see. It should be a great atmosphere in Toronto uh, for Game 5 as they lead that series three games to one. Jason, uh, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. I know you got a ton going on. 
uh, let alone the time difference and everything else, but you're always uh, kind enough to give us some time. Thank you for this. Uh, enjoy your time in Switzerland. Safe travels back home, hey? Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me, Logan. Uh, have a great weekend, man. Take care. Jason Bukula uh, joining us, sportsnet.ca, former NHL scout, always kind enough to give us some time down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Currently in Switzerland for the men's under-18 championships. If you're looking for some uh, prospect analysis heading into the NHL draft uh, with some players who are over there playing for their respective countries, head to sportsnet.ca. Jason's got tons of articles, and as you heard, a couple more coming out today after the results uh, in Switzerland and uh, draft prospects. Uh, always great thing about Jason. He understands where he's uh, talking to. The listener audience gave some examples for guys that might be there for the Flames at number 16 overall. Uh, guys that if they are at 16, the Flames absolutely can't pass on. Uh, hint, hint, that was Dalbor Dvorsky he was talking about. Dalibor Dvorsky uh, he was talking about. So those are the kind of names uh, that we'll start to dive into more with guys like Jason and Sam Cosentino uh, in the next couple of weeks and months as we get closer to the NHL draft. But, of course, our focus tonight still on the NHL playoffs. Two big games uh, to talk about as far as eliminations go tonight. Uh, can the Lightning and the Jets stave off elimination? Uh, Lightning, of course, uh, down 3-1 in their series to Toronto. Uh, going back to Toronto should be an unbelievable atmosphere. 5 o'clock puck drop tonight on Sportsnet. You can also listen to the game here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. And then immediately following that, we will head to Vegas, where the Golden Knights take on the Jets. No Shifley, no Morrissey. Ehlers, a game-time decision. The Jets are beat up and looking to force this one back to Winnipeg for one more uh, game six, if possible, for a, a whiteout that's not really a whiteout, as Cam loves to say, and as we love to uh, to bug the Winnipeg fans about. And Again, I'm sure there's some NHL rule about it, but Cam, we want to see those white jerseys. If you're going to do a whiteout, your team needs to be wearing white. You can't do the navy blue out. No. Come on. It's not the same. It's not Stick the same. to this theme that we're going for and taylor's got some advice for the goalies tonight 10 the goal 10 the goal just 10 the goal don't don't be silly about it don't all mark around back there what are you doing is that what it's the term is now yeah i'm gonna adapt whatever goalie screws up enough and we're gonna put it as that we're gonna term it as that so it's all marking behind the net yeah, if like Brassois does something stupid tonight and it leads to a goal, don't Brassois about it. Just get the puck 10 the goal. That's all it is. You're the goat now, the scapegoat, not the good goat, if you mess around behind the net. I'm so mad at it. I'm not even a Bruins fan. I, they've won 65 games. It just pisses me off. You could have won the game. Just stop screwing around with it. I don't get it. I know you want to help and you – Stop the rush. And, oh, look at how great Mike Smith. I get it. I, 100%. I hear it all the time. The goalie's playing the puck. Stop it. Played it right to a Panther. What are you doing? Just run away. Go to your net. Tend the goal. I don't even care about that. I don't, I really don't. I'm not, I care because it's my job. This is but so like, funny I don't that care. you are so heated it's about so this. It's so stupid. It's so dumb. The same thing happened. I was watching 10 minutes of the game, and they're like, they're just, it's over. The same thing happened in the Kraken game. Grubauer, so just behind his stupid. net, throws it. Okay, but Grubauer won the game. Yeah, at least he won. It's not overtime. Yeah. Don't get it. Whatever. He's heated about absolutely nothing. <laughs> don't even care about the series at it's all. so funny. I mean, I do, like I said, I do care, but I don't care. 
so again, two uh, games on your radios tonight. Uh, Leafs, Lightning, Jets, and Golden Knights, 530. Uh, Rangers and the Devils. Someone will take a 3-2 series lead heading back to MSG for game number six. We'll find out who that is. You can watch that game on Sportsnet 360. That'll do it for us on Sportsnet today. We will come back tomorrow, see what goaltender has uh, raised my blood pressure to an unhealthy level, uh, and talk uh, more about the Calgary Wranglers and their game two against the Abbotsford Canucks. But for now, we will hand things over to the wonderfully talented Haley Salvian. She's got Hockey Central 960 along with you for the next hour. And then Pat Steinberg's around for Flames Talk at 3. And then we've got play-by-play all afternoon and evening long here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.